Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends. Welcome one more time to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. Hello, my friend. How are you? Haven't seen your face in a while. No, it's good to see your face, hear your voice, and uh, we're starting to get hot and humid here in South Louisiana, and I'm sure you don't miss that. No, I don't miss that, but you know, in just about five or six short weeks, uh, we will start summer, and summer in Southern Arizona is, it's pretty unique. I'll just leave it like that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty unique. You know, when they say but it's a dry heat. Mm-hmm. They're right. But even 105 degrees over a blacktop parking lot, <laughs> mm. even if it's dry, uh, can be pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, it's uh, but life is good here in South Arizona. We're excited to be here. And friends, last time we got together, we shared a little bit of some background for how we went about first managing to learn the message of Christ's life, and then as pastors and elders, how we introduced that into the body. You remember a few weeks ago, we finished a series, which we call Law and Grace, and we went through, I forget, eight or 10 weeks talking about all the different points of law, the different points of grace, and we laid out the scriptures, and all that's great. But the real rubber hits the road when you have to take those scriptures and you have to implement them in a body, in a group of people who largely don't have that understanding. Mm. And so Frank and I have faced this uh, now for a number of years. And in our first episode last time, we talked about some of the circumstances that at that time Frank alone faced at his little church in Delaware. And he talked about uh, how he changed the focus of his message, how he apologized. My goodness, Frank, that's, that's unbelievable. I've never heard a preacher apologize uh, except for you. But you apologized to the body for basically doing church wrong. Wow, what an incredible admission uh, and what freedom it brings to know that you can be wrong like that and that there's room for God to correct us always. And so today we're going to pick up with that, and we're going to fast forward just a couple years. You're at a brand new church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and this church also does not have a history of understanding Christ's life. So you came as a pastor who knew Christ's life into a body that didn't. That seems like a disconnect. What attracted you to that church? Oh, that's a a good question, John. You know, I always had in my heart to try to be at a church that was close to a college campus. Um, 
college ministry there's nothing like it you know they they are full of energy full of life uh a tremendous zeal even if there's a naivety attached to it they believe they can change the world and in fact they have on multiple occasions virtually every major revival in this country started on a college campus and so that was always an attraction for me. And fortunately, when we did get here into Baton Rouge for many, many years, we, we had an impact on that campus. In fact, some of the elders at Grace Life today are the, from that campus ministry. And so that was part of it. And then the other was to move from a more rural area to a more city area to have the opportunity to reach more people. And then the third thing was really fascinating, John, in the candidating, which you know you were not a part of as a former elder, you had kind of come back and were uh, biding time before you got involved. But there was a guy there. And as I would answer their questions. He was very intent. Well, the second time they brought us down to go deeper, this guy was just smiling from ear to ear. And after we were done, he came immediately up to me and he said, I got it. And I said, what? And he said, I got it. And I said, what'd you get? He said, the cross. I've been crucified with Jesus. I've been resurrected with Jesus. I'm brand new. I'm right. The right one lives in me. And I got it. And I said, well, how did that happen? And he said, you recommended a book. And I went and got the book. So Janet and I were like, I hate to say this, but kind of like Gideon. Is that our <laughs> is that yeah. our sign, Lord? <laughs> so we thought, yes, it was. And we came down and boy, were we mistaken. Uh, that, guy, that guy moved within a year. I lost my ally. <laughs> and uh, the church kind of erupted into a war, if you will, between legalism and grace. So that it was an the fleece didn't work. <laughs> well, no, the fleece was effective. Uh, it accomplished its goal. And to be honest, the war didn't erupt uh, immediately, overtly immediately. It took a while for things to come to a head. Uh, but during those first months, first couple of years, uh, how did you approach? a body where you'd lost your only ally because he moved away. And you were basically the only person who understood and taught the message of life. So talk to us a little bit about how you approached it, first from a pulpit standpoint. Yeah, yeah. That's a very important question, John, because there's a lot of people who, as you know, write to us and they can't find a church that teaches the grace of God. So that question is applicable to them too, as in terms of what they're supposed to do. And naturally they can't have that pulpit, but they can do other things. And so one of the things I committed to do, which we had always been doing already, was teach the scriptures, go verse by verse. And it's not like we had to come and say, we're going to put together messages on grace and messages on Jesus as our life. 
if you really just go verse by verse, they'll teach it themselves. And it's also, you know, as you and I have discussed many times, it's easier for people at that point because they're if they have an argument, they're arguing with scripture, not with a topical message that we've put together. And so I kind of called that trickle irrigation. And the goal was to consistently over a long time, keep bathing them in Jesus and his finished work, Jesus and his finished work. And so we started in the book of Ephesians, which, you know, as many people have called the treasure chest of the New Testament and all that Jesus has done for us. Um, the second thing we did, and this was very important, you know, the pulpit is just the lecture and it's okay, it's a good thing, but we really need the lab. We really need to test these things, work these things out in life beginning life. And so, as you know, one of the things we did, we started a small group and it was a couple of elders and their wives. And I said, asked them, I said, how would you like to work on your marriage? And the sneaky thing was, of course, we used Bill and Annabelle Gillum to do it, which is, you know, they're going to teach marriage, but they're going to teach it from the new covenant perspective and that Christ is our life. They weren't going to give a bunch of principles. Yes. Uh, you know, here's four things to do, 10 things to do, eight things to do. And in a few weeks, you've got 50 things to do and you can't even remember. Them. So they were going to say, no, this is all about Jesus, living in you, living through you. And that's how we got started was with that small group with the goal of life begetting life. I remember my friend, I was in that small group and had lots of questions, puzzled through many things. To your credit, to the credit of the Holy Spirit, you basically condescended to a couple of guys who, while they were elders, didn't understand Christ as their life, as their savior, perhaps, and their eventual reward, but not as their day-to-day -day life. And you basically held our hands. And that's so important for our listeners to understand that no matter who they are, no matter where they are, they can reach out to someone and in their own way, with their own giftedness, they can communicate, they can demonstrate Christ as life to the person next to them in the grocery line, uh, in the work environment, in their church small group, in their Sunday school class. They can always be a steady, constant voice. And my friend, you mentioned trickle irrigation. Uh, that, really, that really speaks to me as an agriculture guy because trickle means you put on just enough and you put it on at the right time and when the plants need it most. And so cultivating relationships with people so that you're there in their lives when they need the message of life for encouragement, mm -hmm. uh, to build them up when they're down, uh, to rejoice with them when they're, uh, they're jubilant over, over what they're experiencing, to share life with them and inject all the time the fact that Christ is your life. Jesus is here with us. Isn't it great what he's done for us? He loves us so much. He's given us his life and look how wonderful that is. And so having a group, be it a coffee group, a wine group, a Sunday school class, 
a small group at church, having a group to whom you can speak your heart about Christ is so very important. So no matter if you're an elder or a deacon or a leader in a church or a pastor or just a person who attends, the opportunity is still there to share what you know. That's right. And you know, John, when I think of trickle irrigation, I think of consistency over time. And that's one of the things we have to do. We have to not veer from our message. And when the one thing I would think too is when we get together with people, and I didn't do this as well as I could have. I, I think we think of exhortation as kind of like a finger in the face. And we're telling people that they're wrong and they need to know the truth. Yep. And that was I've, kind of the way I I've functioned in the Yeah, That's kind of the way I functioned in the beginning because, you know, I found the truth and by God, everybody else is going to hear it now. And you can lose people that way. This is more an idea of putting your arm around them. And, and I tell people today, Instead of telling them what to believe, why not ask a question? Hey, what do you think about this verse? Uh, what do you think about what this verse says in light of what we're doing? You know, and, and try to make it a self-discovery rather than a lecture. And I think right. that makes sense to our listeners out there. Yeah, it certainly does. And all of us uh, have fallen into the trap of uh, because we... We're right, and indeed we are right, uh, but nobody knows, nobody cares uh, how right you are, or they don't care what you know until they first know that you, that you got their back, that, that you you're them. there for them, you yeah. love them, that you're in their life for their good. And yeah. that takes so much time and so much commitment uh, to reach a depth where you can communicate at those levels. I guess the catchphrase, John, is that sometimes we can be so right that we're wrong. Oh, boy. You know, That's a in, good one. in our methodology. Yeah. That's right. The message is right, but the method isn't. And it can wind up doing so much damage. You yeah, know, I probably. I, go ahead. No. Um, the thought just popped into my head of, uh, of Jesus when he. In Matthew, when he tells the people, hey, you're weary, you're heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. You know, and I'm tender. Mm -hmm. I'm kind. I'm gentle. Mm -hmm. I'm humble. And so many times, my friend, I have, I have not been any of those. Mm -hmm. I have been more concerned with being right. Than being gentle and humble. Yeah, I think in a very real way, John, I would do things very differently. I, I believe in my heart of hearts that I fostered some of that battle and made it worse uh, because I came across so strong. And yet I want to balance that. Uh, you know, legalistic people can be very mean. Uh, very antagonistic and because uh, the law kills and condemns that at the same time, you also have to be very strong to withstand that onslaught. Um, so it's kind of a, a, a 
catch 22, you know, you've got to be tender and gentle, but you've also got to have the skin of a rhinoceros and kind of know where you're going and not allow yourself to be veering from that, even if it costs you your reputation. Yeah. You know, skin of a rhinoceros is, when I first became an elder many years ago, um, a saintly woman of God, a mother in the church prayed that for me. And in retrospect, I wish she would have prayed something different, mm. more like, Father, would you make this man like Jesus in that he is tender and acquainted with grief. Make him a man mm. of sorrows. Make him a man of compassion. Mm. Uh, see, that's those are yeah. two different word pictures, and our Jesus was both. Yeah. Uh, he, he immersed himself into the sorrow, but he didn't own it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a very much, it's weird because you're fighting for people to be free. But the crazy thing is in the process, sometimes you have to fight against them. And so it's a real, when you're fighting against them, you've got to maintain that tender gentleness or you'll come across as uh, a grace Pharisee in yeah. a way, you know? Yep. Indeed, we have have done that already many times. Okay, another aspect that we had, you know, our folks will probably realize this, but we've been knowing each other for decades. Yes, sir. And uh, one of the things that bonded us together from the very beginning was that as Father opened my eyes to the new covenant, and the cross in my life, we became more than just brothers. We became partners. And so as you were trickle irrigating from the pulpit through Ephesians, uh, it was my turn fortuitously, providentially in the Sunday school rotation for the adults to be the teacher. And I was teaching through Hebrews, another great epistle. Uh, to learn about uh, our, our high priest, Jesus. And I admit, I didn't know much. And I would learn, my eyes would be open during the week, and I'd share week to week what I'd learned. So it was almost like a, an unfolding revelation from Sunday to Sunday. Uh, but it was coming from someone they knew, someone they recognized, someone they, they respected perhaps a little more than the new guy on the block, you, uh, who was preaching from Ephesians. And so it's important to have a partner, not but not only for the fact that you got the same message through two different mouths and two different minds, but so that you're not alone. I remember we used to get together for lunch uh, weekly, talk and pray and laugh uh, uh, during this time. And it was great to have someone who had a kindred understanding of the savior as you did. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, because, you know, if you think about the church and we just gotta be honest, we love the church. Uh, when we talk critically, we don't ever want people to think that we're against the church. That's like slandering Jesus's bride. Uh, we don't want to do that. No, uh, we don't. But, uh, 
she doesn't do it right a lot. And so people have heard over and over and over that they're wicked, wretched sinners and that uh, if they don't forgive, they won't be forgiven. And that, you know, they better be following the Ten Commandments and, and that God gets angry at you when you sin and all this stuff. And when somebody comes in and starts saying, you're not under the law. Uh, you're the righteousness of God. You're so righteous, you're called a saint. It is foreign, you know, and the alarm bells go off. And so just like, you know, Moses had Joshua and, you know, David had Jonathan, uh, it really was wonderful to have another voice. And what that did was by using two different passages of scripture, but communicating the same new covenant, even though it was foreign to the ears, it was confirmed through the scriptures. And so they would hear it in the service. They would hear it during the elective Sunday school hour. And I think some people through the I guess I would call it the double trickle irrigation mm. uh, began to have their eyes opened and say, Oh my goodness, I'm seeing it here in Ephesians. I'm seeing it in John. I'm also seeing it in Hebrews. Oh my goodness. Is this everywhere? Maybe and they're right. <laughs> there you go. And, and that this, the scriptures did what they're supposed to do. You know, they led people to Jesus. Indeed, they did. And next week, when we come back and uh, do a follow-up episode, we'll talk in greater detail about the importance of having a partner. Because as we were doing this, it was not without opposition. We'll talk more about that next time. But uh, I remember, Frank, you and I used to go back and forth and say, I'm so frustrated. I want to quit. And you'd say, no, you quit last week. It's my turn to quit this week. <laughs> and so the fact that we had each other's back when things got rough because the enemy, I mean, the last thing the enemy wants is to lose ground. Mm -hmm. And we were pushing back the darkness uh, through the power of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he does not like that at all. So we'll talk about that more next week. You did mention that uh, as you taught and as I taught and as time went by, more people's eyes were opened through the power of the Holy Spirit, showing them the cross, showing them Christ as their life. Another thing we did was we started expanding the message into different small groups. For example, my wife, Terry, and I led, I think on two or three different occasions, a group on parenting. I guess because we had five kids, they must've thought we knew how to do something besides make babies. So we had five kids and we led two or three groups on parenting. And wouldn't you know it, as we went through those structured studies that dealt with relationships between parents and relationships between parents and children, that what do you know? The message of Jesus Christ and his power and righteousness in us kept coming up over and over again. So it's very true. Uh, when you see when you have your eyes opened to the message of Jesus, you see it everywhere. You don't have to hunt for it. It jumps out of every passage of scripture. And we found it in just about every study that we did. So it's a different way to trickle irrigate, almost coming from a quarter that they don't even expect. 
Yeah, that's true, John. Uh, in fact, I, I think we talked about this uh, not long ago. There was one person who was, uh, you know, frustrated. And I think on one particular Sunday, uh, we had the verse by verse, I think we we're going through Corinthians at the time, and we had come to giving. And the person came up afterwards, it was really interesting. And they said, oh, to themselves, he's not going to be able to teach that grace this time. And, <laughs> That's right. and we're talking about tithing now. Tithing <laughs> is immune to grace, right? And uh, she said, and then you did it again. And I saw it in the word of God. And she said, is this grace everywhere in the Bible? <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am, it is. And that's so cool, John. It's, it's Christ is life in our parenting. Christ is life at the workplace. Christ is life in our marriages. Uh, you know, it, it, he, it's always him. And it's just so wonderful. We continued to do our marriage group and multiply that. And uh, then we did a sermon prep group and tried to do it there. Mm -hmm. That, you know, whatever we do, always point to Jesus. That's right. There's one more point, my friend, that I want to touch on as we begin to wrap this up. And that is a, a buzzword that really bugs me, has for years. It's that every, every little group, every clique, every clan in this country tends to develop its own jargon. And wouldn't you know it, the message of Jesus and his cross and his life had this cloud of jargon that began to develop around it. Mm -hmm. And when people who don't understand the message of the cross hear that, you come across as, as cliquish and exclusive and alien and foreign and they, unfamiliar, so they don't really want to be involved. Uh, and so it's important for us to understand that uh, that jargon is not, while it may communicate a thought in our mind, it's not in Scripture. Yeah. Only Scripture is God's Word, and we've got to use Scripture to, uh, to communicate the message of the cross. I remember talking to a, a close friend of both of ours who knew the message of Christ's life, but served in a large uh, conservative denominational church. And I asked him, how did you teach the message without getting slammed as a heretic and being pinned to the wall for all the jargon? And he said, I gave up the jargon. It didn't help, it hurt. I went only to scripture and taught the truth from father's word. And he said, they can't fight against father's word. Mm. That's true, John. You know, at, at the time, the buzzword was the exchanged life. Yes. And I, we know where it came from. We know it's from Isaiah 40 when Hudson Taylor had his eyes open to the grace of God. And that word means to exchange, not to renew our strength. So that's where it came from. It was biblical. It wasn't translated well, but it became the buzzword. And I had people coming to me saying, what is this exchange life? It sounds cultic, like a yes. cult. And, you know, the same thing 
John, is occurring today. Uh, we have the buzzwords of identity, uh, saint, uh, the message, the grace message. We even say, have you got it? Oh, yeah. they've, they've got it. And it's, it's not an it, you know, it's a person. Uh, and when we, we do have that language, it, it's going to cause trouble. I, if I can just share one thought, John, there was sure. one, one person that really struggled there at the church and uh, was a really a ringleader of the opposition against what we were trying to do. Finally, in frustration, left the church but it was so sad because, you know, this person would never come to me, but they went to a friend and the friend later came to me and told me, they said, do you know what they said when they left? And I said, no, tell me. And this is a quote. I can't accept a single word that man says, but he has something I don't have. And I don't like it. And John, that is so sad because if they are a believer, they have what we have. They just don't know what they have. And when we use buzzword terminology, uh, then it makes it sound like we have something they don't have. Whereas if we simply said the finished work of Jesus, the living Jesus inside of us uh, to be experienced, to be expressed by us, it's, you know, we'll have a better shot at them instead of coming across as a, uh, a unique club that has received revelation that they haven't received. Right. It speaks of elitism. Yeah. Classism. Uh, and those thoughts are so incredibly foreign yeah. to the message of the cross. Yes, sir. It is uh, so that advice from that brother has stuck with me all these years, which is why when I discuss what I believe about Jesus, I'll use scripture and say, well, you know, he's my life. Yes. And then that opens the door to describe, to, to give you a chance to describe, well, what does that really mean? And then you can elaborate, but it's based on biblical words like cross, savior, and life, and indwelling. And these things are just so powerful because God wrote them. And right. so nothing has the effect uh, uh, as, as much as Father's word does. So some encouragement to those of us, who, uh, those of our listeners who are uh, in churches or in congregations where there isn't a strong focus. You can be the voice, but when you do, focus on becoming what they will recognize. By that, I mean, as Paul said, I become all things to all people. When I'm with the Jews, I act like a Jew. And so if you're with them and you're in their culture, speak into their culture, but use scripture to do it. Mm-hmm. And then they can recognize it and understand it and see it through a lens that they can, they can discern and translate in their mind. It means something to them. But throwing out foreign thoughts and elitism thoughts uh, doesn't do much, except to inflate the egos of those who know what those words mean. Well, folks, that wraps us up for today. It's been an interesting conversation. Thank you, Frank. Any last thoughts before I sign us off? 
Well, goodness. Um, I think like Jesus said, John 5, 39, as I was listening to you, John, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. I tell you the truth, they testify of me. I am life. So we need to use the scriptures as a menu uh, that points to the most incredible meal, the bread of life himself. Amen. Well, friends, thanks again for joining this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Please check us out on our website, ourresolutehope.com. Follow us on our different social media platforms. And once again, choose hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.